Hi, and welcome to the podcast. My name is Father Bill W. I'm an Episcopal priest living here in Austin, Texas, a member of Alcoholics Anonymous in long-term recovery. And um, if you haven't done so already, I'd encourage you to go and visit our website. It's called a Two-Way Prayer, and it teaches you the, the practice of prayer and meditation that they used to do in early AA. And also, if you haven't done so, uh, we're doing a series of uh, Zoom workshops, and uh, it's on the subject of two-way prayer. And if you would write me at uh, twowayprayer at gmail.com, I'd be happy to send you a copy of the flyer for these upcoming uh, workshops and also add your name to our newsletter. So with that out of the way, we're continuing our series on the life of Bill W., and we're trying to examine this, um, calling this series from the inside out, and and meaning by that that I want to see what it is that's going on inside of Bill, uh, not so much give you the history that's available in many forms, but uh, with an eye towards uh, what what's happening at a deeper level, and even more importantly, how we might be able to benefit from that. So we began our series uh, in episode one, looking at Wilson's childhood traumas, how his father abandoned the family, how his mother uh, also left him, how his girlfriend died on the operating table, and how he then went into a very deep and really almost lifelong uh, series of depressions. And um, Wilson, uh, in speaking about that, said how difficult it was for him, almost impossible, to form close relationships and how he was driven to success. He had this this unbelievable drive to prove himself, and whatever he did, it was never enough. He he used the phrase, I had to become a number one man. Uh, And then along comes alcohol, and uh, to to prop him up in in that journey, and then slowly his best friend, the booze, uh, turns against him. Uh, I think we all know uh, how that feels. In the last episode, we were exploring some of the cracks that were beginning to build in uh, or show themselves in, in Bill's ecosystem. Times when God's light seemed to break through into his darkness. Uh, and I, I, I kind of look at these as sort of mini white light experiences that he had along the way. Um, in this episode, we're going to look at Bill's famous uh, hot flash or white light uh, encounter that he had uh in Towns Hospital. And you probably know much of the story. Uh, Ebby had uh, been in touch with Bill. Uh, Ebby was 60 days clean and sober. Uh, He was staying at an Oxford group mission and uh, made that famous call on Wilson. And the important thing is Wilson begins to want whatever it is that Ebby has. So in the last episode, uh, uh, we went with Bill down to the mission uh, where Ebby's staying. They're having, having a, a service of some sort. Wilson shows up drunk. But in spite of that, uh, he makes an altar call. Uh, and he senses when he does this that something is happening inside of him. The, the phrase he uses, he says, is, I was hit, H-I-T, hit. And he says that there there he was kneeling with those stinking alcoholic uh, penitents. And most importantly, what he says is, and for the first time in my life, maybe I was penitent too. 
So you can, you can see the crack in, in Bill's armor. He gave his life to God that day uh, in, in front of the group. And I really believe that this is where Bill's real spiritual experience started. It started right there uh, at that uh, Episcopal mission in downtown New York. So the story, in, as it's told in the big book, doesn't really pick up till about three days later. And, uh, and Bill's still drinking, but he's still remembering uh, what 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 happened to him there? Uh, was it real or was his mind just playing tricks on him? Uh, he didn't know. And Bill's torn between sort of a surrender to Ebby's God power that he explained or uh, reserving his right to rely on his own ego power. And that's the that's the the conflict that's really going on deep inside uh, Bill Wilson's mind. Bill, Bill writes, a, a conservative atheist like me shouldn't need God. And yet the truth is, Ebby's simple program had worked for him. <laughs> and, and Bill's grandiosity, hell, if, if this thing can work for Ebby, it can work for me. And I think that's the thing that saves many of us uh, addicts when we, when we come into recovery. That we have to see it in other people. And when we do, it, it opens that possibility for, for us to follow along and and probably even do it better than they did. You know, we don't say that out loud. So Bill's starting to compare his, his alcoholism to a cancer. In, in many of the talks he gives, he uses that, that reference. Uh, and it's a cancer that's killing him. And so finally, he, he goes back to Towns Hospital for the fourth time. He's detoxing for the fourth time in about a year and a half. And he tells his, his friend at this point, Dr. Silkworth, that he's found the answer. I'm still a little, a little drunk. And Silkworth says, uh, yeah, go ahead. You know where the bedroom is. Uh, go ahead. Uh, go up and get into bed. Put your jammies on. So uh, Wilson's again going back and forth. He's, he's torn up and down. Uh, surrender. Don't surrender. And finally, he, he finds himself in a pit of, of really, real despair. And uh, I want you to hear uh, Bill in his own words. This is an AA talk that he, uh, he, he gave some years later, uh, many copies of this available on the internet, but he explains uh, what it was that happened to him when he was there in that uh, detox room. So let's have a listen. And my depression people, and at I hit the bottom of the pit, and I suddenly found that I had become a child, alone, and crying in the dark, for a parent who did not seem to be there. And then I said, well, now I will do anything, just like that cancer patient. I will do anything for a cure. And then in no hope at all, really, I cried out, and if there is a God, let him show himself. And then came a realization, indeed, the greatest one in my whole life. There can never be another life. It seemed to me that that place lit up in the blinding glare. I was transported into an accident. And I suddenly realized that I was free. And utterly lost in this strange space 
In the mind's eye, I seemed to be on a mountain, and a great wind was blowing. And I perceived at once that it was not there. It was the wind of heaven, a wind of spirit. And I was free. At length, I find myself on bed. But now I lie in another world. And a great peace settled over me. I felt as one with the universe. And I thought to myself, so this is the God of the creature. So, as I, as I said earlier, um, there are a number of versions of Wilson's uh, hot flash, white light uh, experience uh, that you can find. And, uh, but I think it's really important to understand some of the elements that are at work uh, in this experience. And so I want to read another one. This is from his uh, taped uh, autobiography that, um, that I have. Uh, so th this, is, this is the same, same time experience. You see, he writes this, the terrifying darkness had become complete. In agony of spirit, I again thought of the cancer of alcoholism, which had now consumed me in mind and spirit, and soon the body. But what of the great physician? For a brief moment, I suppose the last trace of my obstinacy was crushed out as the abyss yawned. I remember saying to myself, I'll do anything, anything at all. If there be a great physician, I'll call upon him. Then with neither faith nor hope, I cried out, if there be a God, let him show himself. The effect was instant, electric. Suddenly my room blazed with an indescribably white light. I was seized with an ecstasy beyond description. I have no words for this. Every joy I had ever known was pale by comparison. The light the ecstasy. I was conscious of nothing else for a time. Then, seen in the mind's eye, there was a mountain. I stood upon its summit where a great wind blew, a wind not of air, but of spirit. In great, clean strength, it blew right through me. Then came the blazing thought, you are a free man. I know not at all how long I remained in this state, but finally the light and the ecstasy subsided. I again saw the wall of my room. As I became more quiet, a great peace stole over me, and this was accompanied by a sensation difficult to describe. I became acutely conscious of a presence which seemed like a veritable sea of living spirit. I lay on the shores of a new world. This, I thought, must be the great reality, the God of the preachers. Savoring my new world, I remained in this state for a long time. I seemed to be possessed by the absolute, and the curious conviction deepened that no matter how wrong things seemed to be, there would be no question of the ultimate rightness of God's universe. For the first time, I felt that I really belonged. I knew that I was loved and could love in return. I thanked my God, who had given me a glimpse of his absolute self. Even though a pilgrim upon an uncertain highway, I need be concerned no more, for I had gained, excuse me, I had glimpsed the great beyond. So, um, 
there's 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 Wilson's um, experience in, in in two two versions, and I want to start picking our way through this a little bit so we can uh, again uh, look and see what 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 does this uh, have to offer for us? And the first thing I want to say is that, you know, Wilson later said that this all could have been a hallucination, uh, that at the time he was drugged up as part of the Belladonna treatment, and that hallucinations of this this type uh, seemed to go along with that. But he also said, even if this is true, it really didn't matter. What was the important thing is that something happened to him inside, something shifted inside. I mean, that's what's important. You know, not, 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 not did, uh, did God show up in Bill's, uh, in Bill's hospital room, uh, but did the ego system that Bill had built up to protect himself, to guard himself, to, to keep himself from being hurt, did it crack wide open? And when it did, uh, was he then in the presence of, of something new? And, and maybe you noticed, um, and I hadn't picked this up before, but when I was listening to, uh, to, to the tape of his recorded um, um, talk, he said something really interested, interesting. Uh, he, he said just before this, this white light experience, he felt like a child. And I think that's really key. Here's the phrase. I suddenly found that I had become a child, alone, crying in the dark for a parent that did not seem to be there. God, if there is a God, he cries. Daddy, Mommy, if you're there, help me. There, there's something about really regressing when, uh, when, when real desperation uh, comes into our lives, when... Uh, when everything we've built up that is false uh, comes tumbling down. Um, and so uh, it's as if all the pains from his childhood, all those defenses that he, 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 he constructed for years, somehow they began to crumble and he's reaching out for help. But he really didn't know to whom he was reaching. And I think that's, uh, that's important. Uh, it's not that we have to have a belief in God. Uh, when when we're moving from step one to step two, um, it's just uh, whoever you are, whatever you are. Uh, I now realize that I need help, and then came his spiritual experience. Now this is the quote from the big book on on the nature of spiritual experience, and that, that's why I want to get into a little bit a little bit deeper because I think there are some things we can learn from that. And uh, it's basically the part we have in the big book. It's basically uh, paraphrasing Carl Jung, the famous Swiss psychiatrist, in, in what he told Ebby, um, excuse me, what he told Roland Hazard, his, his, his own patient, um, when he was trying to encourage him to go and seek recovery. And this is, this is basically how Jung is paraphrased. Jung says, once in a while, alcoholics have had what are called vital spiritual experiences. They appear to be in the nature of huge emotional displacements and arrangements, ideas, emotions, and attitudes that were once the guiding forces of these men are suddenly cast to one side and a completely new set of conceptions and motives begin to dominate them. So to me, uh, again, at, at the bottom of Wilson's white light was the collapse of his own ego. 
And this really seems to be uh, what's critical for genuine recovery. Um, if you're a real alcoholic, uh, the self has to get out of the way so the true self can come and assert itself. So a few more things uh, I want to point out in, in Bill's story before we dive into that. And uh, this may help to explain uh, some of the mountaintop and the wind and the light. Um, and you may not be aware of the spiritual experience that Bill's grandfather, Willie Wilson, had had when Wilson was still a young boy. And I didn't appreciate this whole mountain scene until I visited East Dorset, where Wilson grew up. Grew up, And the town's in a valley, and hovering over it is Mount uh, Aeolus. Uh, it's part of the Green Mountain chain. It's huge, and it stretches uh, right down to the edge of the town where Bill's home and, and, and the rest of the little community was gathered. In this scene, it's Sunday morning, and uh, Wilson is still a young boy, and most of the town is present there in the service at the Congregational Church. And what I want to read to you now is taken from Dick B.'s book. It's called The Conversion of Bill W. And Dick writes this, Grandfather Wilson had a long record of alcoholism. He had tried to lick it through temperance and revival meetings, but to no avail. However, one Sunday, Grandfather William climbed to the top of Mount Elios, cried out to God for help, and suddenly saw a blinding light and felt a great wind. Grandfather Wilson believed he had sensed the presence of God and been saved. He rushed down to the little church, interrupted the services, seized the pulpit, announced to the congregation that he had been saved and that he was healed. Moreover, he never drank again during the remaining eight years of his life. <laughs> it probably sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? The mountaintop, the white light, um, a blowing wind of spirit. Uh, and that's why I think perhaps that childhood quote in Bill's uh, recorded talk is so important uh, that he goes back to that childhood experience uh, that he was present in that church when uh, Grandpa got up there and did that, and um, uh, when when he when he regresses, uh, he goes back to that state and and shares a similar a similar experience to the one his uh, his own grandfather had had. I want to finish up now with uh, some quotes from uh, another couple of books. Um, and the first one is one that Wilson read in his detox room. He's, he's trying to understand what it was that had just happened to him. And, and Ebby most likely gave him a copy of Varieties of Religious Experience written by William James, the Harvard uh, professor, again, whose name is mentioned uh, in the big book. And in this, uh, James points out four qualities of a spiritual experience, and we can uh, we can we can look for them uh, in Bill's life. Uh, uh, maybe more importantly, I, I hope we can look for them uh, in our own experiences of, of of the divine, however it is that that may may come to you, and and it comes in in varying and different forms, but. In this book, James is looking for what is what is uh, what is um, uh, what is it about these that uh, matches up in in so many of them, uh, some qualities that are there, and 
he lists four. And the first one he says is ineffability, ineffability. And, and, and that means that there really are no words to adequately describe what it is that happens in a conversion experience like this. <clears throat> James writes, the subject of the experience immediately says that it defies expression, that no adequate report of its contents <clears throat> can be given in words. He continues, it, it follows from this, that its quality must be directly experienced. It cannot be imparted or transferred to others. No one can make clear to another who has never had a certain feeling in what the quality or worth of it consists. One must have musical ears to know the value of a symphony. One must have been in love one's self to understand a lover's state of mind. So whatever this, uh, this new form of consciousness, this cosmic consciousness, this connection to what is beyond, uh, you're not going to be able to explain it to somebody. You can only invite them to the experience. A second ingredient, uh, and he uses a big word here. He says a noetic quality. And that means it has about it a sense of revelation a sense of revelation, that something is being revealed to me, shown to me, that I could not have gotten to on my own. Again, quoting from uh, the book, they are states of insight into depths of truth unplumbed by the discursive intellect. So this is different. It's a different experience from the from the usual ego mind, the thoughts that are running through it uh, uh, all the time. He says, they are illuminations, revelations, full of significance. And as a rule, they carry with them a curious sense of authority. And uh, this is the ongoing battle, I think, in recovery between the ego, thinking that it knows all, and, and, and the true self that's humble and teachable and knows what we need to know better than we do. And to me, this is the quality uh, of, of the two-way prayer as, as I experienced it and have over the last 28 years or so. And when I listen to other people experiencing it, that's the way it sounds. It is a voice that knows better than they know. So I always tell people, uh, I'm not so interested in listening to your opinion. Uh, God knows we all got those. Uh, but I am interested in listening to this voice as it speaks to you because it comes with a certain authority. And it comes with uh, uh, an encompassing love and compassion that usually the individual uh, probably lacks. Now, a psychiatrist uh, who takes this whole conversion experience seriously uh, explains all of this. And he's, he's suggesting that in a real conversion experience, this is a quote, we may have awakened within us the true self. And I'm going to quote from him now. He says, at times of crisis, there may be an independent psychic energy that can emanate from the true self. It's as if the true self can act to protect itself from the suicidal annihilation by the ego and shows itself by speaking or acting out. Once the true self emerges, the ego seems to know its lesser place from then on. See, there's the shift. 
the person's ego begins to slowly learn there is a power greater than it and that the ego is subservient to this higher power. Conventional psychiatry, he concludes, can offer no explanation for such voices or, or visions in Wilson's case. And instead, we might remember the wisdom of Shakespeare, who said, there are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in your philosophy. Third, back to, back to William James, third quality is transiency. And, and, and that basically means these altered states of consciousness do not last very long. James says, mystical states cannot be sustained for long, except in rare instances, half an hour, or at most an hour or two, seems to be the limit beyond which they fade into the light of common day. So it's not a state that you're, you're going to stay in, but, uh, but uh, they are little, little moments of uh, genu genuine connection with the beyond. Fourth and last one, uh, James calls passivity. And that means the experience is not under personal control. He writes, although the oncoming of mystical states may be facilitated by preliminary voluntary operations, as by fixing the attention or going through certain bodily performances or in other ways which manuals of mysticism prescribe. Yet, when the characteristic sort of consciousness once has set in, the mystic feels as if his own will were in abeyance, and indeed sometimes as if he were grasped and held by a superior power. Um, it's kind of nice not to be in control for uh, a few moments, isn't it? <laughs> I really enjoy that. Uh, uh, so Wilson, Wilson, by all measures, had a genuine experience of some sort there in Towns Hospital. He felt a presence, a wind of spirit and not of air. Um, whatever it was, it shook him to his core. It told him there really was another world and he was a part of it. And that this world was under the control of this something other than himself. And that in the end, uh, that he is loved, that he is loved and that all is well, and all will be well. To me, that's the message of a, a genuine spiritual experience. And wh whether it comes to us slowly, uh, or it comes dramatically, if we are alcoholics of the, the real variety, like Bill, come it must. Uh, and, and, and that's why the emphasis is on experience and not just awakening. See, I think we can go on awakening slowly, gradually, all this sort of stuff for years and years. And yet what seems to be needed is an experience of this. And once I have that experience, I can't deny it because uh, it's mine. So, so anyway, uh, really got into some depth there. I uh, hope, hope that was okay. And I hope you found this, uh, this episode helpful and the series uh, is helpful for you as well. If you did, uh, encourage you to invite a friend or a sponsee to uh, join in listening to this. Uh, I really would like to get as much of this information out to uh, people in 12-step recovery as, um, as possible. 
So in the next episode, we're going to look at uh, Wilson's trying to carry this message uh, of his own experience to other alcoholics and see what success or failures uh, he had along the way. Uh, I think it should be fun. Again, uh, check out our website or contact me at twowayprayer at gmail.com if you want to attend one of our upcoming workshops on Zoom uh, or uh, make some comments on the podcast. So thank you for listening. God bless and keep coming back.